morning. How are you doing? Didn't you love that part in the service where Pastor David joined the worship singers up here and sang with them? That did my heart good to see that. It was only awkward for you, Dave. Anyways, if you're new here, my name is Kenny Kibble. I'm one of the pastors on the team. I serve as the executive pastor, and I'm just excited to be here this morning. Are you guys glad to be in God's house today? Yeah, me too. Is your Christmas shopping done? No. Okay. We're continuing on a series on Mark. We've um, started not quite a year ago. I think like we started in February. So by the time we're done, it'll be a year. We made it to chapter 12. Um, chapter 12, verse 28 to 34, we're going to be looking at today. Uh, you know, I've, you've, I don't know who said this quote, but I'm sure you've probably heard it before. It says, love may not make the world go round, but it sure makes the trip worthwhile. You guys heard that one? I think that people generally accept that the best of all experiences and the sweetest of all emotions is love. Whatever the culture, whatever the age, whatever the era in time, it seems that it's universally accepted that love's the greatest. It's the goal of life to experience love, it seems. If you took all the songs, all the poems, all the books, all the stories, all the movies, all the love letters ever written about love, whatever else you can think of, and you put them all together in one volume um, about love, it would just be volumes and volumes and volumes. The world kind of comes together on this, that love is the greatest experience, it's the greatest point of life, and on this point, I think God would agree. However, the kind of love that we're going to look at in the verses we're studying today, I think God has a different kind of take on love than the way the world sees it. But I would agree, he agrees that love is the greatest. So let me pray real quick. Lord, thanks for being here in this room today. Would you join us? Would you teach us today as we read your word? As we read those words aloud, Lord, would you touch our spirits, our souls, our lives, and change us from the inside out so we leave here different, having had an encounter with you, Lord? We say this in Jesus' name, amen. You know, one very important way that we uh, worship God together and we come together is when we open his word and read his words together as a group. That's a form of worship. Um, and so if you would open your Bibles to chapter 12 of Mark, if you brought a paper Bible, if you want to look it up on your digital, uh, that's fine as well. And if you have neither of those and you want to just check it out on the screen, we're good with that too. But before we read, let me remind you the setting of these verses. It's Wednesday of Passion Week, right? Which means it's the Wednesday before the Friday when Jesus is crucified, and he's at the temple when this, where these verses occur. The people were hoping that Jesus was the Messiah who would come and overthrow the Romans and deliver God's people from their oppression. Uh, just one day before, on Tuesday, he shows up at the temple, and instead of attacking the Romans, as they might have hoped he would, instead he attacked their false religious system. He cleaned out the temple. He threw out the money changers and the thieves and those people profiting from buying and selling of spiritual sacrificial, uh, sacrificial animals. That was Tuesday. Now it's Wednesday. Um, Jesus was at the temple. The religious leaders, are, th these guys already hated him. Uh, they wanted him dead. And as you've seen in the previous week's messages, they had been trying to trap him with trick questions, hoping uh, to discredit him with the people 
or hoping that, you know, they're forcing them to answer in such a way that may get them in trouble with the Romans or the Jews or something like that. And we found on, all the way through Mark, as we've seen these encounters, it wasn't working. It always backfires on them. He's always like one step ahead or smarter than they are. And he's consistently putting them in their place. So that's the setting as we look at Mark uh, ch- uh, chapter 12, verses 28 through 34, when there's once again, someone comes to put a question to him. Let's read that together. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord of God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you're right, teacher. You have uh, truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love one's neighbor as yourself is so much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Okay, now before we move on, you have to remember the message from last week. The Sadducees, remember that? They came with this riddle of a question about uh, this woman and had seven husbands and each one died. And he, they tried to trick him up. It was a question about the resurrection. And Pastor David did this uh, great job of showing um, how he, Jesus completely put the Sadducees in their place. He kind of took them down a few pegs. And if you weren't here to hear that message, I encourage you to go back and listen online. So we have this, it's important to know too that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were not all buddy-buddy. These guys weren't friends. They had different theologies. They often argued with each other. So the guy coming today is a Pharisee. Uh, It says scribe in the text, but we know it in a parallel account in Matthew. It says when, uh, Matthew 22, verse 34 and 35, it says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. So this is the scribe coming to him. He was a Pharisee. I imagine they had a little huddle off to the side, and they said, okay, who's going to go up and ask him a question? And this guy is the one that was chosen to put Jesus to the test. But what's interesting is this guy doesn't fit the mold that we've seen in Mark up till now. What's interesting about this guy who puts this question to him, he doesn't seem to have any kind of hostile intent or hidden motive like the other uh, Pharisees that we've seen challenging him with trick questions. This guy had heard his discussion with the Sadducees, um, and verse 28 indicates that he was impressed with Jesus' answer. Probably because he put the Sadducees in the place and the Pharisees weren't fans of the Sadducees, so it's like, yeah, that was good. Yeah, you really uh, let him have it. So there's almost like a respect when he comes with this question. And here was the question. Which commandment is the most important of all? Now, that question may seem a little weird, uh, but the question was an ongoing debate at the time. So uh, traditionally, they categorized the Old Testament and they said it contained 613 individual commandments. Uh, They assumed that they were all binding and important, but they made differentiations between which ones were weightier and which ones were lighter. They kind of made these differentiations based on, you know, what was the penalty for disobeying or what was the reward if you got it right or, you know, how easy it was it was to accomplish. And they kind of categorized everything. 
And it was common at the time for, you know, rabbis or these teachers to try to kind of summarize everything into one statement. So this was like an ongoing theological discussion at the time amongst rabbis and Pharisees and people like that. And so they come to Jesus with this question. So that's the context of this ongoing debate. And uh, the scribe asked Jesus, can you sum it all up for me? You know, this is a big book. What's most important? Uh, and of course, Jesus' answer was brilliant. Let's look at verse 29 and 30. Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. He began with the Shema, if you don't know what that is. Every Jew would have known this creed. In fact, a devout Jew would have uh, recited this twice per day. So this wasn't new. I mean, this is something they knew. Morning and evening, they recited it, and it comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, if you want to put it on the screen. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This statement states the basis for the Jewish faith. And even today, devout Jews still recite this daily. If you were to go to a synagogue service next weekend on a uh, Friday or Saturday or whenever they have them, um, they would start the service by reciting the Shema. It's considered the foundation for monotheism because it emphasizes that there's one God, but it does something else. It also declares that this one true God wants to be loved. The command calls for the exclusive love for the one true God. Uh, this, this command calls for the volitional commitment to God and that brings us to our first point today. Point number one, God desires for us to choose to love him with a love that is personal, comprehensive, and wholehearted. God, I'm gonna read that again. If you're writing it down, I'll give you a little time. God desires for us to choose to love him with a love that is personal, comprehensive, and wholehearted. The whole duty of man can be summed up in this one word, love. Love, first of all, has to be directed towards God. This is the heart of mankind's existence. It's why we were created. We were created to love God. It's why we're on this planet, we're to love God. And the verse says we're to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. Um, there are all kinds of things written on commentaries about what each of these mean, mind, heart, soul, strength. And it's probably kind of a mistake to overemphasize the, you know, the things. I think what's really being is meant here is that we're to love God with all the faculties he's given us. We're to love God with everything he's given us. Whoever he's created you to be, you're to love God with that. We must express this to the full. Notice the, worst of the use of the word all four times. Um, uh, with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. God wants this wholehearted love um, that must be shown to him. We can't love God in a half-hearted manner. I mean, when you look at God's example of how he loved us, he sent his son, he loved the world so much that he sent his son. He didn't spare him, but he uh, let him be sacrificed for us so that we can have this love relationship with him. God expressed in Jesus Christ a wholehearted love for us. And our response to that should never be half-hearted. He expects our very best. He wants all of who we are. So here's the question. How do you know if you love God? 
First of all, I got to say this, it's not a feeling. Loving God has more to do with what you do than how you feel. So Jesus not only picked up on Deuteronomy by saying, hey, look, let me give you the most important thing. It's to love God. And just two days later, because remember, this is happening on Wednesday of Passion Week. So just two days later, it's Friday. It's the Friday when it's his last night with his disciples. It's his last time with his boys. And he's sitting there, and he's just about to uh, give his farewell speech. He's in that upper room. This is right before he's arrested. He's right before he's taken to trial. It's right before he's beaten and right before he's crucified. And he's sitting with his disciples, and he's giving this kind of farewell speech. And he's kind of saying, let me make things as clear as possible. Check out this verse in John 14. uh, He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. How do you know if you love God? You keep his commandments. That's how you know. Uh, And Jesus goes on at the end of that in verse 23. He says, uh, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but my Father who sent me. There's a lot of people who say, oh, I love God, but they're living a life that's opposite of what God has told us, right? Um, According to these verses that we just read, that means they don't love God. They may appreciate God. They may know a lot about God. They may be a fan of God. But if you love God, you'd obey his teachings. So love's not about a feeling. Um, So by the way, if you're wondering if you love God or not, are you living according to his commands? Are you living according to his word? Is he your Lord? Are you following him? Have you placed your agenda under his? Because it's far more about what we do than how we feel. It's because love is a choice, it's not an emotion. And I wish someone had taught me this earlier in my walk with God. We're told to love God, love God, love God. And we go to this church experience, and there's some people who seem to feel it. There's some people who seem to experience it. And you've seen them, hands raised, tears in the eye, almost a quiver. And I'm just like, huh, that's interesting. I just don't emote like that. I don't feel like that. But some people seem to. The way God has made me, I'm just different. I don't love like that. I don't. How am I supposed to love an invisible God? And I've, I used to, when I was younger in my faith, would see people who would feel it and you could see it on them. And here I am, a guy who's been pretty much emotionless my entire life. <laughs> Brian's smiling. <laughs> I've never felt something in my entire life like, oh, I just, I just couldn't live without them. Yes, I could. You know? I, I, I don't prefer that. I mean, I don't want to, but yes, I could. Oh, Kenny, how could you say that? So unromantic. Yeah, but it's true. So <laughs> you just have to deal with that about me. I've never been all emotional about my love relationship with God. And I used to think that something was wrong. Then, and no one ever said to me, whoa, whoa, whoa. God never told you to get all emotional about him. Jesus broke it down real clear. He says, you want to love me? You obey me. You do what I say. That's loving me. It's real easy. Oh, I love God. But it's hard to go out and change your life, to put that into action, to be about others, to put his agenda ahead of yours. 
to be a follower. It's a decision you make inwardly, and it's not an emotional, flowery thing. No, at the, it's at the core of your being. It's a decision you make where you say, this is who I follow, and this is what I do. Uh, Deuteronomy 6 said that you're to impress this on your kids. You're to talk about it wherever you go when you go about your day. This is going to be the most important thing to you. Uh, this verse doesn't say, oh, you're going to feel about God. Certain songs are going to make you get the Holy Spirit tingles in your fingers. And it doesn't say any of that. <laughs> no, it's something that comes from the very core of your being. It's your mind. It's your heart. It's your strength. It's who you are that's going to reflect this. So love is a decision, and it's an action much more than it's an emotion. And aren't you glad it's not an emotion? By the way, I would probably not be married if love was an emotion, because there's just too many days when you don't feel it. You know what I'm saying? There are just days when you look at your family and you can't believe this gift that God's given you. And then there's other days when I... I, I just get home from work and I can't believe that everything's not just packed up and empty, right? It's like, um, she's still here. <laughs> it just boggles me sometimes. And I don't care how your relationship is, there are days when the emotion just isn't there. And if your relationship with God and if you're judging whether or not you're loving God based on whether you're feeling it in worship, whether you know, that emotion's there, that's going to let you down because uh, there's days when it's just not there. And with my marriage, I don't get all depressed like, oh, my marriage is over today because I'm just so frustrated with her. No, come on, you just suck it up. You put your big boy pants on and move on. That's just how life is, right? You just keep doing what you're supposed to do. And if that's how it is with the person I love, hi, Heather, she's doing nice today. <laughs> I warned her, I'm all, I just hope this doesn't offend you so much, but I'm going to get honest. But if that's how it is with the person that I love that I, the most in life, if that's how it, I, it is with her, then why wouldn't it be that way with God? It's not an emotion. Love is a decision much, and it's much more about actions than how we feel. So point number two is this. Love is more than a feeling. Love is more than a feeling. Uh, the second part of Jesus' response to the scribe is really complimentary and it's inseparable to the first. Let's look at that together. Mark 12, 31. The second is this. So you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. This comes from Leviticus 19, 18, where it says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. The love we're commanded to have towards God is not only to be directed towards him, but also to our neighbors. And the word used for neighbor in the original language is a word that expresses one who is nearby. It's just a generic term for your fellow man. Uh, it's not just calling us to love the person who lives in the house next to us, but all of humankind, anyone who crosses your path, anyone who's been placed in your life by the sovereign hand of God, that's your neighbor. In fact, Jesus actually answered this very question in uh, the Good Samaritan. Remember that? He was, that story came about because someone asked him, who's my neighbor? Uh, and he kind of, you know, basically say, I'm supposed to love my neighbor. Okay, give me some parameters. Who is this? Is this 
Does this mean like just one door down or two doors down? What about the person across the cul-de-sac? I hardly see that. You know, they never come outside. I don't know them very well. How am I supposed to love them? Please don't let it be the guy on the corner down the street, right? So he says, who's my neighbor? Give me some parameters on this thing. And then Jesus said, well, just pick two people and two people only and love them. Is that what he said? No. No, that would be easier. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> so I'm sure you've heard this story. A man was robbed. We're not going to have time to turn there, but you can look it up later in Luke uh, chapter 10, I think. Um, so this man is robbed and beaten and left on the side of the road, right? And three people pass him, a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. And the priest and Levite, they just truck on by. They kind of ignore him and don't even give him notice. But the Samaritan stops and picks him up. He puts him on his donkey, takes him to an inn, uses his own money to pay for, the, for his care at the inn while the guy recovers, says, if, he, if it takes more money than that, when I come back by, I'm going to check back in and make sure he's cared for and this guy recovers. And then Jesus says, okay, which one's, being, which one's the neighbor? And he's, uh, of course, the neighbor was the Samaritan. And he says, go and do likewise. Loving your neighbor means you do like the Samaritan did. Uh, this should not be a once-in-a-lifetime occurrence, but this is a regular part of your life. This means when you see a need, uh, we do something about it. That means um, it may even need that we need to sacrifice something of our own to make sure it gets accomplished. And even be willing to stick around as long as it's necessary to make sure it happens. You just don't see that. This Good Samaritan story, Jesus is saying, I want this to be an everyday occurrence. Uh, you know what love is? You want to know what your neighbor is? And then Jesus plays the race card, the Samaritan and the Jew. Can you imagine? The, you know, the, the crowd must have been, oh, no, don't tell us we got to love the Jews. Oh, no, he took it to another level. He's, I'm going to show you what real love is by telling you you got to be like the Samaritan. Uh, we all want to be loving, don't we? I mean, can we, who wants to be more loving? Let's raise our hands. Most of you. Okay. Uh, what did Jesus say? Love your neighbor. And then in, uh, elsewhere in the Bible, it takes it up another notch. He says, love your enemies. Does he really expect us to love people who tick us off? To love people who are challenging to love? Well, if you just love those who love you back, that's easy. That's not even a challenge. God's calling us to love back even the people who tick us off, even the challenging people, even the people who persecute you. That's why this command's at the pinnacle. He's saying, love God and love your neighbor. This isn't easy stuff. Paul adds to this when he says, if I have a miraculous gift and I can pray in tongues of men's and angels, but I don't have love, then I'm nothing. If I understand all mysteries, if I have faith so much that I can move a mountain, if I give everything I have towards the poor, but I don't have love, then I have nothing. Every once in a while you hear someone say, Hey, I just need to work on being more loving, like it's extra credit or something. It's not extra credit, right? If I have faith that can move a mountain, it's worthless if I don't have sacrificial love that puts the needs of others ahead of my own. Uh, we know from the book of Genesis that God made man in his own image. Man is the image bearer of God. On top of that, we know from John 3.16 and other verses like that, that God loves every person in the world. You will never cross paths with someone who God doesn't love. 
You're never going to encounter a person in your daily life who's not made in the very image of God. And you'll never interact with a person that God didn't send his son to die for their sins on that cross. You can't love God without loving what he loves. Our love for others flows from our love from God. Uh, John wrote, if you, saw, if you say you love God, but don't love your fellow brothers and sisters, then you're a liar. Now, I would never say that, but John said it, and it's in the Bible. Um, he's saying, if your love for God doesn't flow out to other people, then that's not Christianity. You're not even a Christian. He says, you're a liar you say, if you say that's true. So here's the issue. And I'm guessing some of you are like me. My natural man doesn't always give a rip about other people. <laughs> you know what I mean? If I'm in a crowd somewhere, you know, if I'm at Disneyland and it's crowded and the fireworks just got over and like people are cutting me off, I'm trying to get out of there, I'm not thinking about the love of Christ for all of humanity at that moment. You know? um, there are times when that's just not at the forefront of my mind. Um, but the love of God causes me to have a heart. It's called agape love. This is the love of God that supernaturally comes to us from God, where I can love someone with God's love. Uh, he enables us to love our neighbor. It's a supernatural thing that happens. So no, so now let's think about this. As the big church, not just Camp CC, but the church in general, the worldwide church, how are we doing with loving our neighbor? How is that going for the church? I think if I went out and if I were to poll a couple hundred people and ask them, give me the first word that comes to mind when you think of a Christian, right? I kind of don't think that the word loving would be that word, right? Maybe even if I said, give me the top 10 words that come to mind when you think of a Christian, someone who claims to be a follower of Christ, what, yeah, I don't even know if we'd make the top 10 list. Uh, what's, something's gone wrong here. And what's strange about that is Christians are loving people. I mean, I know a lot of you guys are really great people. Uh, you're kind, you're good neighbors, you're just really good quality sorts of people, and yet somehow love is not what our culture thinks of when they think of the word Christian. And if that's the case, something's really gone wrong. Um, the culture has this, you know, there's probably a lot of reasons um, first of all, there's always, seems like there's some jerk on the news who's claiming to be a Christian who's making us look bad, right? So there's that. There's a jerky people out there who are making God and Christians and us all look terrible. Um, and but perhaps for the rest of us, we've kind of lost love as one of our priorities. In my uh, research, I found that there's 55 New Testament verses calling us to live a life of love. There are things that say things like we're to love each other with a brotherly love, show hospitality to strangers, love each other as Christ loved us. We're to count others as more significant than ourselves. We're to look to the interests of others. We're even to love our enemies. We're to outdo each other in showing honor. We're to love earnestly with a pure heart. We're to forgive each other. The verses like this go on and on and on. And our love for God should be flowing into our lives. So let's quickly look at the scribe's reaction. Uh, verse 32. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other beside him. 
and to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself. It is much more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. So the scribe's reaction begins with an exclamation. He's saying, right, teacher. Um, That word right could have been translated excellent or beautiful. The guy was impressed with Jesus' response. Obviously, Jesus made a deep impression on him. Um, He actually adds the word that what you say is the truth. And then he virtually repeats what Jesus just said. Um, So we don't know much about this guy. We don't know that if he was a fan of Jesus before he came or if he was hostile and Jesus' response melted his hard heart. Uh, We don't know the case, but whatever, he was definitely um, impressed by Jesus' answer to this question. And so, in turn, Jesus encourages him. So look at verse 34 of chapter 12. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. So the man answered wisely. He understood that the key to unlock the door of of the kingdom of God was love. God's own love for sinners, first of all, then our all-out love for God, and then our love for our neighbor as image bearers of God. The guy got it. And then Jesus says, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Um, To a certain extent, this man was intellectually qualified for admission to the kingdom of God. He certainly grasped at least a couple fundamental principles. He had a kind of spiritual understanding and openness that Jesus uh, said brought him close or near to embracing God's kingdom. However, something was missing, because Jesus says you're not far. He didn't say you made it. Um, Perhaps it was his pride and his own intellect. Um, Who knows what it was. Um, But if this scribe would have, by God's grace and power, taken one more step to believe in Jesus as his Savior and Lord... He would have advanced from a position of not far to being part of God's kingdom. See, intellectual approval of God's truth is not enough to be saved. We have to be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And in salvation, we say that Jesus is two things to us. He's Savior and Lord. Um, by Savior, we means we trust in him in faith. We, that's the intellectual part. We think about it, and we say, yes, that's true. We, we say that what the Bible says is true, we agree with it. That's the intellectual assent. And then we, have to, we call him Lord. That's where we put him as the ruler and leader of our life. We submit to him, and we follow him. We put our agenda under his. Um, and that, uh, what flows out of this is a love for God. So if you have the mental part, the mental assent part, You're close to the kingdom of God, but you're not quite there. We have to believe, but we also have to follow. He's our Savior and our Lord, and following flows out of our love for him. Following flows out of this desire um, because of his love for us and everything he did for us. We love him back, and that means we desire to do what he says, to follow his commands. So here's my big idea. Keep it simple. Love God and love others. Don't make Christianity too complicated. (laughs) Genuine Christianity has always been within reach of the average person. The Pharisees raised the bar uh, so that only the super intellectual, the well-trained, the hyper-disciplined could could enter the kingdom of God. 
Um, and they were Jesus' number one enemies. Jesus kept it simple. There's nothing between the lines. There's no like uh, super truth just for special people. It's just right out there and obtainable by everybody. So when the scribe asked him, hey, out of the 613 commandments, which is the most important? Jesus' answer was love God and love others. When you love someone, that means you try to please them. Um, So loving God means you do your best to uh, obey his stuff. That's following when we're obeying. And loving your neighbor means that you do your best to help them. And then verse 31, Jesus brings us to a climax when he says, there's no other commandment greater than these. This is the pinnacle. Um, It may seem like that some people think that the way you come to Jesus is by having perfect attendance in church. Have you ever met people like this? Or by looking appropriately on Sunday morning or by having the right answers to all the questions and please and thank yous. And they read this book and they memorize certain lines and they do all these things, right? And there's, for a guy like me who's always been very independent, I like to do things my own way. I don't like to be squeezed into a mold. I didn't really feel like I fit with that interpretation of things. And then the, on the other end of the spectrum, you have these Christians and they're always hugging each other and they sit around acoustic guitar talking about, oh, my feelings and... And I'm like, no, nah, man, don't touch me. <laughs> it's, it's just the way I was raised and who I am. And, I, and I'm okay with hugging people, but at least, like, introduce yourself first, okay? <laughs> like, hi, I'm Kenny. Nice to meet you. You know, we may have to go through a few questions, but I can get there. <laughs> so I was growing in my life with Jesus, and I saw this group of God's people that were legalistic on the legalistic side. And then the other end of the spectrum, there's this charismatic group of God's people, and I didn't feel like I fit in either group. And let me just put this out there real quick. If that's the way you relate to God, that's awesome. I'm so happy for you. Just don't touch me. (laughs) But I had to figure out the hard way that this is not what it's all about. But it truly was as simple as, hey, look, you're supposed to love God with your mind, with your strength, with your heart, with your soul. you got to do this with everything you've got. When I understood that, it's not about an emotion. It's not a touchy-feely thing. It's not about how I'm feeling. Um, And look, God's made us all different. Uh, We have different likes, dislikes. We have different strengths, weaknesses. We have different personalities. And all God wants us to do is take who we are, that person he created us to be, And love him with that. He created us the way we are. He created me the way I am. He created you the way you are. And we aren't supposed to be the same. Your uniqueness is something God's given to you. Take that and love him with it. And now that you're loving him with it, go and love some other people with that too. However God wired you, whoever you are, that's what he wants. I can do that. I can be a completely different kind of oddball and love my God with that. And you can do it too. I don't know about you, but this is a thick book. And Jesus keeps it simple. He says, hey, the basics of Christianity, love God and love people. There's so many chapters, so many verses, so many books in this thing, and I have to do two things. I don't always do them well, but as far as the simplicity of Christianity goes, I can go through my entire life and go, is 
Is this action loving God and is it loving people? Um, in fact, Jesus says the entire law and prophets, this whole thing can be summed up in that. Uh, we take things, we take Christianity, we make it way more complex. Jesus took it and he made it simple. Let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you for being here with us this morning. Lord, thank you for loving us. Uh, thank you for loving us exactly how we are, that we don't have to change first, we don't have to be something we're not, that you created us to be a unique individual, and that your desire is that we take that and we love you with it, Lord. Uh, and that's going to look different. And that's part of the beauty, the mosaic of the church, that we are different, and that uh, some people can get up here and cry and emote and love you that way in a way that's very visible and everyone sees it. And other people can be more stoic and um, steadfast and unmovable in their faith. And that's the kind of love that's awesome as well, Lord. Um, as this congregation's gathered here together, Lord, would you uh, do something in our hearts with your Holy Spirit today, Lord, that we can leave here confident in our love for you, if there's anyone here who doesn't love you, Lord, would you begin to draw them to yourself even now? We say all this in Jesus' name. Amen.